In our final episode of season one's Life in Digital, we're joined by Simone Harvey, director at The Unmistakables. The Unmistakables are a diversity and culture agency, and Simone was the perfect guest to round off what's been an incredible couple of months, speaking to leaders and shapers of the digital sector. We started this podcast in response to the accelerated changes happening in the digital sector in light of the pandemic and the snowball effect that the Black Lives Matter movement has had on how we think and talk about diversity in businesses. As quoted from Simone, this has been a time to rebuild businesses, and I hope you will join me in listening to our final episode, where we discuss the importance of diversity and building an inclusive team, and how data is vital in holding us accountable to the promises made in 2020. I'm Simone Harvey and I'm director at The Unmistakables. We are a diversity and culture agency and there's a few things that make up our business. We are all from a comms, marketing and PR background, but all with a really big passion for all things diversity. And I think for each of us, it comes from a place of lived experience, from being in the industry, getting quite senior and kind of feeling a bit like it's okay, but there are some things that shouldn't be there. There are some experiences we've each had that we think could be done differently, essentially pointing to wanting it to be more diverse and essentially not finding that. And so Assad, who is the founder of The Unmistakables, thought, okay, I'm tired of being the only guy in the room like me, let me create something different. And when I heard about it, I thought, that sounds like a great idea, let me be part of it. And what's your background? So my background is, I would say it's PR, but then it's moved into comms, corporate comms, I worked in the drinks industry for quite a bit. I've worked for both big and small PR agencies. So that's kind of been my heartland, heartland up to this point. And what I do now is actually quite different. So I think that very much informs what I do. But how can I put it? If I talk to you a bit about what the unmistakables do, you'll then kind of see how I fit into that space. So we are a consultancy that believes diversity should be everybody's business. And what that means is we see opportunity in diversity. We don't think it's a tick box. It never should have been, even though it has been. We very much believe in bringing things out of those silos. So for example, if you're talking about ethnicity or if you're talking about gender or sexuality, it's actually more helpful to look at it as a whole and holistically think about diversity in the organization. Some of what we do is external. So it might be that we get a marketing campaign or a product launch And the question is, is there something about this that's maybe not as diverse as it could be? Or is it racist? Usually if that's the question, the answer is probably yes. Um, So it's quite, it's interesting in that sense because you can really change campaigns. You can look at something that could go out and either come across just really culturally insensitively or completely ruin a brand's reputation. So that ability to intervene and say, well, hang on, not like this, but like that instead is is really powerful. But even more interesting in that is what we're hearing more now from organizations is, okay, we wanna support movements like Black Lives Matters. We want to be more diverse. We're not sure where to start. We don't have Mm. the data. We don't know who's in the organization. We don't understand why perhaps people join, but then they leave before they get to mid-management. So what we do is we come in and we find out, well, what's really going on? We speak to people, we listen, we look at the processes, we look at the, the culture and how it feels for people. And often you can identify really crucial bits that are quite easy to solve in many ways. So I would say there is a strategic consultancy piece which runs through a lot of our business. 
and that then flows out into the external piece so we do different bits for different clients but a lot of it is that internal deep work and you said that your role has kind of evolved into something very different to what your background was can you talk a little yeah. bit more about what the, the day-to-day activities are for you bit of everything we're quite a young business so as you can imagine it's not this kind of really defined role that looks the same every day it's mm -hmm. something that looks completely different every day but i guess prior to this i would be looking at either a, a campaign for a drinks brand or i'd be looking at the corporate reputation or messaging for an organization and there's a lot of that that flows into what i do but it can be being on something like an open forum or a listening session with a business in different markets understanding how people are feeling about diversity what how it's shown up in their in their personal lives in the organization they're in and what they want it to be or how we do that differently and that's something that i wasn't doing before and i guess from a a new business perspective i'm very involved in that um we have our own podcast as well the speakeasy yes. which i co-host sometimes which i love um yeah, it's quite nerve-wracking it. <laughs> well it's quite nerve-wracking isn't it and you kind of have to think what do i ask and when and mm -hmm. so i love that and i love the idea of making these conversations a bit more accessible because i think one thing i've learned is just how how difficult it can be to talk about things like race and ethnicity it's, it's not something people feel comfortable about and I think that's mainly because they don't want to offend. You want to get it right. And you don't want to be confronted with perhaps ideas that we all have that are caught up in a system that isn't quite right. So what we try and do is say, well, hands up, we're all learning. We all get it wrong and try and create a space where people can ask questions and also be sensitive to some of the issues and understand a bit more about difference to approach it better, but also to empower people to say, well, okay, this from my religious perspective is this, um, this is how I pronounce my name or, you know, this is how my experience is as a black man or a black woman or a Bangladeshi man or whoever that is, or as a gay man or woman, there's so many ways in which it shows up. And I think we're at a really lovely point in the world where there is an opportunity for real change because we're speaking about it. There's a massive spotlight on it. And that's mm -hmm. the point at which you can make change. Yeah, I think actually in the podcast that you, the, the one that I listened to more recently with Sheldon Mills that you were co-hosting, co you said a time to, or was it in your um, blog post actually, you wrote a blog post during the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement, uh, and you wrote a time to rebuild businesses and that really stuck with me because I yeah. think, as you said, some people have tended to hide away from being confronted with the fact that they might be racist, they, they potentially have racist policies, they might just have an unconscious bias. And it's really about dismantling some systemic things that are happening and not just, um, yeah, not just ignoring it anymore. Um, and we'll definitely dive into that as much as, as much as possible and kind of look at data, like you said, and the ways that we can do that. I just want to go back a little bit because you said, you were attracted to joining uh, and I wanted to find out why and what, what was it that led you to that point where you're like, you know, I want to make a difference and I want to be part of that company. Yeah, so I was actually, I was in another role and it, it wasn't a good fit. And that, I think that happens to everybody at some point, but actually it was an opportunity in disguise because I was ready to leave, but I wasn't sure what was next. And I think, I think part of the journey of being more senior and as you get older, you start to get a lot clearer on what works for you and what doesn't. 
and it gets mm-hmm. much harder to be inauthentic. So I think a lot of that was happening in the surround sound. And then I kept seeing the unmistakables pop up on LinkedIn or on campaign or in just different little industry pockets. And I thought, well, that's a bit different. The unmistakables and diversity and winning loads of awards. Okay. And you know, when you see, <laughs> you see things in a few different ways. And then finally you have this aha moment, which is, yeah, that, that sounds like something I'd like to be part of. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell this story um, quite a bit. I was at an awards lunch um, with my old company mm-hmm. and the unmistakables were there as well and happened to be sitting on the next table. And I thought, that's the sign. There are some 50 tables here. You're sitting next to me. That must be the yeah. sign that I need to touch base and somehow get a conversation going. So I did that back in November last year and then met up with Ben who's one of the partners in the business and we had a great chat it seemed to kind of gel but they weren't really ready to take on somebody and then lots of new business and things were on the horizon and so into February they got in touch and we all connected I met Assad we hit it off and here I am. And what was it like joining on the kind of was it just the cusp of the (laughs) pandemic happening like what was the situation when you joined? I tell you what it was it was the Friday before I started a phone call or an email to say by the way we're going to be working from home on Monday just to let you know so I literally joined at the start of lockdown that was my normal so yeah that was that was quite something but I think I think just joining in the middle of a pandemic is just everything you take to be certain isn't certain anymore and Mm -hmm. it's always hard to join a new role because you second guess a lot of things, you don't know the culture yet, you've got a way of working that may or may not be the same as the people you're working with. So there's a lot that happens at the beginning anyway. And then you layer that with a pandemic and you just think, I don't know where to go with this. But somehow I had a really great run early on. And I think, I know when we talked before about what questions and things we might cover, I, I was thinking, well, what, what are some of the pros and cons, I guess, of, of lockdown and starting up in a business then? I think at the beginning, everybody was just that bit more accessible. So from mm-hmm. conversations that you wanted to have with potential clients who you normally couldn't get meetings in with, suddenly you could dive right in because everyone was at home, diaries stripped, no one's going anywhere. So that was one perk. And I think just that kind of initial, oh my gosh, we're in a pandemic, worried about new business clients, maybe some of them furloughed, something's dropping off that created a time for us as a team to spend more time doing that daily check-ins and how's everyone feeling and adding in that more, I guess, more pastoral side of things, which for a Mm -hmm. new starter is so crucial because a lot of it is about making those bonds and connections outside of the work that then reassures you along the path and helps to kind of build your muscle internally. So that was really useful for me I think obviously the better thing would be to be in an actual office with actual people but in lieu of that <laughs> I managed to make it work yeah and, and now are you being have you actually managed to see people face to face like where are we at <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've been into the office once which was interesting I mean I tried to because I have to get the tube I traveled outside of um, the busy periods And it was fine. I think when I did it, it was a few weeks back and London was kind of half open, half closed. And it was a bit kind of not as much fun as it normally is because we're based in Somerset House, which is a fantastic space. It's a real creative buzz. And because I'm an artist as well, it kind of is my perfect office space. But it was pretty quiet. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, because I'm in this Zoom world, I kind of went in with maybe 50 back to back Zoom calls. So I was in the office 
on my screen and I thought hang on this is <laughs> this is not very sensible so I think what we've learned is that it makes sense to meet up absolutely and we've had other check-ins where we've been face to face we've had meetings we've had drinks and done that kind of more collaborative style of working I think where we'll move on to is staying some from home and using those times when you actually meet up to do those those face-to-face -face, those strategic conversation that kind of screens off face-to-face -face talk rather than just being in the office for the sake of it I think it's a real opportunity for businesses to think about what works best and it's different for every yeah. business there's not one size that fits all and how has it affected how you work with businesses and kind of feeding into that question I guess we we can't really talk about the pandemic without bringing up the black lives matter movement and there seems to have just been a seismic acceleration to readdress um some imbalances mm -hmm. really really hone in on what companies are doing and what they can be doing better um, and being held accountable to that as well so how have you mm -hmm. found that change particularly as you were already doing that and already delivering that message like how was how did that how was that impacted during this time so I think at the start of the pandemic, obviously we always, you know, fly the diversity flag and we live and breathe it and we believe in it. But for many businesses before COVID, before George Floyd, it was a box to tick. It was either a box to tick because someone says you have to tick it or because you know instinctively it's the right thing, but you don't quite know how to address it. And maybe it sits in HR as one of the many streams of work. So I think it, it felt at the beginning of lockdown as something that would be deprioritized, which was obviously a huge shame. Then I think the fact that we were all in lockdown, having a very global experience, but also starting to see where this virus that is supposed to be the great leveler and affecting everybody equally wasn't both here and in the states there were clearly some massive divides in who was more exposed to covid who was yeah. getting sick from covid who was dying from covid and that started to raise questions around well hang on well, why is that happening and it's a question that's not easy to answer because the answer has multi multiple facets to it and the very visible murder of george floyd made that impossible to see it made structural racism and all of the different ways it shows up impossible to ignore and I think us all being very used to looking at our screens and very digitally led by that point everybody saw it it spread like wildfire and conversation started happening and I think also there's something about we do a lot around um, young people and Gen Z's and how their experience of inclusivity is shaping other generations and calling businesses and organizations to account there was a lot of that activism which was saying well hang on this drum we've been banging for ages it needs to be addressed and it, it's fine for companies to sort of post a black square and support the movement but then when you go onto a website and you see an all white board or you see no actual initiatives towards change it's not enough and i think that in itself is really powerful because it does galvanize businesses to understand that yes it's the right thing to do but also it's business critical that we get this right reputationally mm -hmm. it's important certainly that generation will walk away from businesses who aren't doing that right or certainly explode their image on social media but also i think what i like to focus on is the fact that diversity makes sense if you've got a boardroom filled with all of the same people from the same background they're only going to have a certain sort of 
lens or span of ideas. Whereas if you bring different people into the room from different parts of the country who have different upbringings, who have different cultures, you start to see a lot more things in a lot more color. And that means your innovation is different. It means if an idea comes up that actually could land really badly with one of the communities you're trying to reach, that's more easily spotted by a diverse room. And so if the only reason you did it was to make money, it would make sense. Never mind the reputational risk, never mind the fact that it feels nice when people can enter an organization and be a bit different, be not your kind of cookie cutter mainstream. It's important that businesses create something that people A, think they can join and B, once they've got there, feel like they can belong and be themselves and do their best work. So that's a lot of what we're talking about today. And I think what's changed is since Black Lives Matter, it's been on the radar of some very senior people in businesses who are being asked, what are we doing about this? And really want to find that answer. And I think have done for a while, but because like you pointed out, it's a big problem. It shows up in lots of ways. It's that problem that's almost too hard to solve on your own. So mm. that's been a, a big kind of driver for us. And as you can imagine, it's, it's, it's been busy the last few weeks. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's been busy. Yeah, I can really imagine. And can we start to maybe think about the ways in which businesses can approach this? So some are already doing it, some are, have not been doing it or not been doing it well. Mm-hmm. And what's the kind of steps that you have when you have gone into businesses, you've been able to say to them and, and made a real impact? So there's a few ways. I, I think off the back of the recent Black Lives Matters resurgence, it's not a movement that's gone, it's not a movement that just started. But off the back of that, we saw one of two things, either a kind of silence where it was oh I don't know what to say or what to do so we do nothing very commonly there was a quick knee-jerk response which often missed the mark I won't call out any particular brands but it's easy to see how you get into that that space because Mm -hmm. you want to be part of it you don't want to be seen to be silent and you want to express that you're willing to be on board but one of the things we've done is as we go in we see well where are you on that track have you responded with anything have you set out any action plan what have you said that perhaps you're not doing let's start with where you are let's also look back a bit to see whether you have that that right to respond that right to claim that you are doing something but also kind of handhold a bit that this is a big problem that affects everybody and that need to change is there but it cannot and doesn't need to be done overnight what it needs is the commitment from the top and the roadmap to get there. And that involves a number of levers. It looks like thinking about data, thinking about who's in your business now, who, how you would benchmark that to where you would want to be, how you showcase yourselves to appeal to a diverse audience. And recruitment is a big part of that. And I think what typically happens, and we're all guilty of it, people want to recruit to, to find people that fit the culture that's there. which makes sense because you want it all to work. But if you think about the culture you have, there may well be a way to expand and build on that to have a more diverse and interesting culture. But if you're going to do that, that sometimes looks like not recruiting someone that looks like you or went to school in the same place as you or is the CEO's niece. You sometimes have to think, all these tried and tested methods, yes, we get people in, but we're getting the same people in, which gives us only one track. So being willing to actively push outside of that and say to recruiters, well, show us your diverse talent. We know they're out there, 
but also being willing to see that in some cases they may they may show up a bit differently to what you're used to and I think this came up a little bit on the, the podcast with Sheldon mm-hmm. um, and I've you know I've seen it come up in different places the journey of somebody who is from a different background whether that's ethnicity whether that is coming from a very working class background versus someone who's middle class the opportunities you have who you're exposed to who your natural mentors are can be very different so your opportunity to climb and to show up in corporate spaces isn't necessarily going to be the same you you come from a different starting block which is not the same as saying you don't have the skill the talent or the potential so Mm -hmm. I think although it's important to recruit on merit and to fill the role as it needs to be filled, there should be an openness to that looking a bit different because I think anybody Mm. who joins a business has an area or two of development needs to be sort of stretched in one way or ironed out in another. So opening your mind to do that in slightly different ways, potentially, I think is an important part of the process. Yeah, and a really simple thing that came up in that podcast was clients asking for it and also, I guess, on the receiving end is recruiters pushing for it and encouraging that kind of diverse um, CV search. But I think uh, on that podcast, Sheldon was saying how many clients haven't asked. And actually one of the things that we noticed and one of the reasons we actually started the podcast was a lot more of our clients are asking for that. And so there's a real, there's a real effort across, across the, the kind of industries. I think, Predominantly, it had been agencies to begin with. Agencies seem to be quite far ahead than a lot of the other sectors when it comes to unbiased CVs, taking off details that can affect how people select who's going to come in for interview. But there's still um, one of the things that came out of my podcast with Darren about Black Lives Matter and from listening to what you guys were saying was once you're aware of it, it's quite hard to ignore. And so that is a real, a real shift that even that we've noticed um, as, as recruiters. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit more about nurturing people of color within businesses mm. and getting into those leadership roles? What does that look like, do you think? So something else that Sheldon brought up was in his own journey, having access to leadership coaching, which is particularly mm-hmm. it's very common but there was an acknowledgement in in that step of his journey perhaps having certain nuances that would need to be considered in that coaching process now that's not to say if you are black you have to have a black coach because I don't think you do but I think there has to be a space for certain nuances to be considered so for example if you are black and you enter a boardroom and I've touched on this in my my blog that I wrote there may be things playing in your head that or in the the people who are there's heads around what seniority you are and just different biases that can show up now that's just it seems like a small thing but it's almost like having to prove where you are before you even speak whereas somebody else may not have to do that or it looks like not feeling as empowered to speak up because there are a number of biases that can come up around if you're an outspoken black woman you could be an angry black woman if you're a black male you're aggressive and these things aren't said out loud but they tick along under the surface and that requires people in business to offset those biases and change their behavior which as you can imagine as you get more senior particularly that's problematic because as as a leader you need to feel confident to express yourself and to give your opinion. And so 
if you think about the coaching process, some of that is looking at some behaviors and habits that serve you or don't serve you. You might be surprised to find certain things that people resort to that you wouldn't expect to be there, but they're there because of that very different experience. And it starts really early on. And that's definitely something that came up in the blog with Sheldon, that very early school experience and recognizing how his peers might have been treated differently for something that they all did. They were maybe given more leniency than he was. So you, you learn early on that you've got less leeway. So there's all of these sort of multiple challenges that you navigate as a black person in life, in the work workplace, that then impact how you show up. So I think in terms of nurturing that, it's, it's one, recognizing that, but it's also opening the door. It's, it's that recruitment process. It's actively seeking out challenging your own biases to bring more people into the room who don't look like you who maybe don't speak like you or have different experiences it's then that constant bias check and understanding that people are different we're all different in so many ways mm -hmm. and that's not just about ethnicity it's not just about gender or sexuality we're all intersectional so you might be black but you might be into a certain type of music or you might have a different sexuality it's, it's not as simple as just because you have a black employee, they present in one way. And I think that's another, that's another thing for people to be mindful of. I think it's very common for certain stereotypes to be put with certain people. So yeah. the overarching thing is recognizing that difference requires difference. And I think it's up to managers to check their own biases and to mm. open up opportunities. I think if you've got someone on your team, for example, who has potential, finding out how to best nurture that in them because I think we've all learned that if we've got somebody who sponsors up somebody who takes an interest that's our biggest opportunity to grow we need that role modeling and I think that's why I really believe in people recognizing the power that they hold we all have this individual sphere of influence how do you use that who's who's on your team who's who's your peer or your senior who needs to hear something that they perhaps wouldn't have recognized had you not voiced it. So it's everybody taking those small actions that can make a really big change. And something you mentioned earlier was people tend to hire, you, you, we kind of go down this route of they're not a good culture fit. And what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Is that just racist in some ways? You're just looking for somebody that looks like you and has the same experience as you. Having gone into many different businesses and assessing their culture, um, how, how have you kind of bridged that with companies and maybe tackled some of those unconscious biases? Mm. I mean, I would look at it purely from a business perspective, and this is how I try to recruit myself. What needs do we need to fill first and foremost? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that people do around personality testing and the colorways, like whether you're red, blue or green. You can often notice just from that example that if you've got a bunch of yellow greens they'll be attracted to yellow greens but then meanwhile the processes are left undone so from that perspective if you're looking at who's needed in the team you would likely choose someone who's more process-led more blue even though they don't actually fit your culture you should be thinking about it from a perspective of the business need but on a you know okay we all went to oxford we all look the same kind of vibe you have to challenge that. You have to want mm -hmm. to be exposed to difference. You have to recognize that though that is one way and there's nothing wrong with it, it's not the only way. I mean, one of my favorite mm -hmm. sayings is there's more than one way to do it right. And I think recognizing that what you know is comfortable, it's 
your comfort zone is not where any of the magic happens. So, and the same applies to recruitment. And I think it needs to be within the policies and the processes to, to want to increase diversity because that forces people to look in different places for talent. It forces you to look at how you present on your website or if you go and do a panel, who's on that. All the different ways you show up as a monoculture gets challenged. And then if you see, if you're a potential candidate and you look at a company and you see a sea of white faces or everybody presents the same and there's no difference in there, that sends a signal that perhaps you might not be welcome. So mm. you don't even knock on that door. So it's about how you present, but it's also building in things and practical actions where you challenge that, where you force yourself to ask, ask recruiters for diverse talent, give them a chance. You don't know until you try don't always default to getting someone in who's a family member you know that's only going to give you a certain set of people as well so it's it's building in a multi a multitude of checkpoints to encourage difference but also to kpi yourself against it to benchmark mm -hmm. and to set those targets not because you're ticking a box but because people are busy people are naturally attracted to their comfort zone unless there's a directive from the top and it's woven into your values and your objectives as a business people won't do things differently so it needs that from the top and it needs everybody to subscribe to that mm. and you mentioned their kpis and benchmarking and i think this has actually come up a few times is there's not really been much data on mm. diversity and hiring um, and what was really successful in with Stonewall and with the Me Too movement was a demand for data. Yeah. Do you see that as being something that's going to be continued? And how, how do you think that would look like if it was to be successful? So certainly with a number of the businesses we work for, where we start is with the data. What data mm -hmm. do you have? Often the answer is not enough. And that's yeah. okay. <laughs> We then identify what data do you need and how do we get there? And I think that is something that is really, really important because unless you know where you're at and then also use it to understand what happens when you perhaps have this diverse junior workforce, what happens at mid-management, what happens at leadership? Do they stay? Do they go? Do those numbers drop off? And if so, why? It allows you to interrogate the data. It also allows you to make a case for why things need to change. But if you don't know about any of it, it all just becomes a bit intangible and it doesn't promote any action. So data is crucial. Um, if you don't have it, it's creating a pathway to getting it. So that can be at the recruitment stage. It can be and, and should be trying to find that from the organization as it stands. And I think if the data hasn't been gathered before, it can feel a bit challenging to ask for it, but that's something that we work closely with businesses to develop messaging around. And, a lot of that is to do with outlining the intention, the strategy and the why. Mm -hmm. I think people are on board when they know why something is happening. Um, and it's important to understand who's in your organization so you know who isn't and you can understand why and make the changes to change that situation. Um, I just really wanted to, because again, this came up with Darren and it was mm -hmm. touched upon in the Sheldon Mills podcast as well. And I think again there's probably not a right answer but it's worth talking about and that's the term BAME and I I, <laughs> I I think it's been used a lot and now I'm seeing a bit of a shift to POC persons of colour and I just kind of wondered if we could talk a little bit about that and and how can we 
even if there isn't a right way, how do we approach that topic? So BAME is a very UK term, um, Black, Asian and minority ethnic, just for anyone that doesn't know. And you mentioned POP, person of colour. There's also BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, person of colour, which is used more in the States. And I think mm-hmm. when a quote Assad, founder of Unmistakables, to say BAME ain't the same, <laughs> she has written about <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and he's right, because I think the challenge with BAME is that it groups people together and there's such a huge group within that banner even if you take Asian who are we talking about are we talking about South Asian are we talking about Chinese and there's a huge difference in the experiences just in one of those letters black whether you are black and born in Britain whether you are born in the Caribbean or in Africa it's all there's so many nuances to those experiences and so grouping them together creates a situation where you're tempted to treat everybody the same and yeah. that's a problem. And the reality is it's also something where you have white and then you have everybody else when actually that's not the way forward either because ultimately we're all people with many intersections and what we're moving towards is equality in which case we either need to chop up all the boxes and treat them as individuals or lump everyone together but not just white and other. So, I can see why it happens. There's a, there's a reason it's there. It is helpful in some respects to kind of isolate the non-white experience, which does have some similarities. But I would argue that there are many, many differences between those groups that need to be addressed and mm-hmm. need to be considered in order to actually treat people within that banner fairly. So it's not a favorite term. Sometimes we use it, we have to use it. Mm-hmm. Nobody who's within that banner describes themselves as BAME. Mm-hmm. I would never say I'm BAME, I'm black, that's quite straightforward. And so <laughs> in that respect, it, it's a problematic term. And I think it's something yeah. people should be cautioned against using. One of my questions was, have there been any learning points that have come out of this time? But I'm also aware that you joined during this time. So probably <laughs> yeah. loads of learning points. Um, is there anything that, has surprised you during this time and that makes you maybe excited about the future? I think there's so much, um, there's so much bad happening at the moment, but there's also pockets of really hopeful things happening. And you must be speaking with some incredible companies that are actually doing brilliant things. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and what you hope the future can look like. Sure. I mean, a lot has happened. Let's not forget the pandemic, which we're still in. So it's been a bit of a mind-blowing time for everybody. I would say from a business perspective and everything that happened around George Floyd and Black Lives Matters, the one upshot from that is the conversation. The conversation being had by many. And I think allyship is such an important word and it's playing out so visibly now. And also empowering people to have the conversations that always needed to be had whether that's somebody speaking openly about their experiences and things they've been on the receiving end or for businesses to say this is why this is important and understand fully why diversity can't just be something you maybe get round to later and also this the, the many pledges that happened around Black Lives Matter the, the internet cannot be deleted so there is a, a record <laughs> <There's> a record <laughs> There's a real accountability piece there, which I think is really exciting because if people stood up to those pledges, 
the world could change a bit and that's really mm. exciting and I think what we all collectively need to do is once this has died down even further from a conversation point of view but is to keep banging the drum in the actions that we take and I refer back to that sphere of influence that we each have and to hold companies to account companies you're in if, if diversity matters to you ask the question ask senior leadership what are we doing what's our roadmap what's our action plan how are we going to change how can we do better and that's how we can start to see things be done differently um ben on our team one of the partners he often talks about the power that organizations have to create change if you think about if you're racist on the street not much will happen to you but if you're racist in a, in a workplace you can be fired so there's a real opportunity for businesses to put a stake in the ground and set their values and set the way they want to show up and work and be culturally and for everybody within that to go on that journey and to be a place where you can have conversations and safe spaces and make changes so i think that piece is really exciting and really powerful mm. a huge thank you to simone and the unmistakables if you want to find out more about the work they are doing, links to their website will be in our show notes. There will also be a link to subscribe to their podcast, The Speakeasier. I'm Amy Wright, brand specialist at Sphere Digital, and it's been a pleasure hosting this podcast, speaking to some incredible people in the industry. A big thank you to everyone who has listened, shared and subscribed. We are taking a break, but we will be back for season two. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram to keep an eye on what Sphere Digital are doing in the meantime.